Good evening, everyone. I'm Siobhan Cronin, and I'll be filling in for Anne-Marie Cronin tonight for this special live broadcast on 760 WJR. We're going to be talking about the prevention of disease and the urgency of taking action before the onset of serious medical problems. Dr. Brian Collender, MD, internal medicine physician and specialist in prevention, is here tonight to talk about how to avoid heart attack and stroke altogether and what you need to do to prevent Alzheimer's and many other chronic diseases. If you have a question, we're opening up the lines and taking your calls, so please make a note of this number, 800-859-0957. We'll be repeating it throughout the show. This is your chance to talk directly to the doctor. So stay tuned. We'll be right back. You're listening to 760 WJR. Again, I'd like to welcome all of you to a special medical show here on 760 WJR. I'm Siobhan Cronin filling in for Anne-Marie Cronin tonight, and we are here to talk to you about prevention and why you have to start looking at health care from a different perspective. Dr. Brian Collender, MD, is joining us from Birmingham, Michigan, to give us some hard talk about dealing with our health and making sure we get the necessary testing. We invite you to call in if you have any questions at 800-859-0957. That's 800-859-0957. Dr. Collender, we kind of primed our audience on Facebook Live uh, what we're going to talk about. We're going to get more into prevention this week. Um, but up, up first, we do have Greg on the line in Shelby. Should we start with our caller? Sure, go ahead. Okay, Greg, what's your question? Hey, you guys, Mr. Positive, got to tell you a little secret. I'm turning uh, 60 tomorrow. Don't tell anybody. Happy birthday. Thank you. Um, Dr. Collender, my mom was just diagnosed with uh, macular degeneration, and she does spareva for COPD. Could that in any way, shape, or form cause it? Um, well, thank, happy birthday, and thanks for calling. Uh, I don't believe there's any data on spareva causing COPD. Um, probably smoking which uh, again is a uh, causes COPD uh, generates an inflammatory response, which may or may not lead to macular degeneration. So following what I call the universal theory of inflammation, inflammation can present differently in different people. And I'm a believer that for your vision, macular degeneration is an end stage disease. That's the result of, any given person's inflammatory status. And uh, the goal is to not get to that point. Identify your inflammatory markers, your drivers, address them aggressively through your whole life, and hopefully that won't happen, or at least we'll see reduced incidence of macular degeneration. But no, but you have to remember, Greg, we talked about switching your mom to Stialto, which is a better maintenance inhaler. I mean, Spreva is not bad, but I, you know, I'll say a trumped-up version of uh, Spareva is Stialto. That's my go-to maintenance treatment for uh, COPD. Yeah, thanks, Greg, for calling. That's interesting you brought that up, end-stage disease, because we've talked about that before when it comes to insulin resistance, diabetes. If you, you know, macular degeneration, what would be a way to know that you are heading in that direction? Is it just inflammation? Is there something more specific we're looking at? Well, that's a good question. So in my practice, we really focus on cardiovascular prevention, so preventing heart attack and stroke. And the reason is we have data points that measure that risk. So our data points are objective, and we've got lab work that has been shown to identify risk better than any of the other markers that you all get when you go see your doctor. So having 
a good LDL or a good A1C in my practice, those are meaningless. Those are meaningless data points. So I want to be looking at other markers like our IMT thickness and any one of a half a dozen vascular inflammation markers. So those are objective markers I can use to measure risk. And the challenge is, how do we measure diseases that we don't have objective measures for? So I don't have an objective measure for macular degeneration. Um, I use a pretty extensive uh, cognitive assessment that is uh, AI-driven and intuitive that helps me gauge brain health. And we've talked on the show a lot about doing um, brain imaging, MRI with volumetrics as a way of gauging risk for um, brain disease or you know, whether it's any neurogenitive disease, whether MS or dementia or Alzheimer's, you know, theoretically you can predict who's at, on that path from measuring brain volumetrics and the cognitive testing is more of a functional measure. So it's not easy to find those. But what we do is we identify everybody's drivers of disease that affects your arteries. And hopefully by affecting those positively, we will impact these other conditions. Yeah, and these are tests that you're doing sort of routinely. And you, like the IMT, you do it one one year and then you follow up at a certain point to see how it's progressing in one direction or the other, right? The labs we do once or twice or sometimes three times a year, depending on the person. The imaging we do every year. We do oral health screening every year. Um, we screen everybody for sleep apnea because everyone knows that I've got a, you know, I think that's an important disease to screen for. These are all silent killers. You know, the insulin resistance, sleep apnea, periodontal disease. You know, whether you have periodontal disease, if you have the bacteria in your mouth that correlates with chronic illness, we want to know. And these are, again, knowing where you are is a starting point. And we work on you from there. And sometimes it takes years to turn people around but we're going to. So no one doesn't get turned around. It's just a question of how long and you know what do we what depths do we have to get to to make that person healthy. Right. And having gone through it, you know, at your practice too, a lot of these things are painless and they're easier to do. The sleep apnea test now you can do a take home version. So it's it's not quite as, you know, intensive as some people might think, right? Well, yeah. I've switched about a year ago to instead of referring people to a sleep study. Um, doing an at-home test. It's one night. It's easy. It attach, you know, use a Bluetooth to your phone and it's a screen and you pass it. We're great, you know, and, and it also depends on our pretest probability. You know, what my suspicion is that any one person has it is how we move forward. Right. Well, let's definitely come back and talk more about prevention and uh, other testing that you're doing. Um, but for now, we're going to have to take a short break. Again, you are listening to our weekly live medical radio show where we keep you up to date on all medical solutions from dealing with COVID to avoiding catastrophic disease. We're here with Dr. Brian Collender, MD, talking about prevention. If you have a specific question and would like to talk to the doctor directly about what you need to do to prevent or reverse disease, please call us at 800-859-0957. That's 800-859-0957. You're listening to 760 WJR. Welcome back to our special live weekly medical show on 760 WJR. We are back again with Dr. Brian Collender, MD, internal medicine physician in Birmingham, Michigan. 
As a recognized leader in the field of catastrophic disease prevention, including heart attack, stroke, diabetes, and many chronic conditions, he's here tonight to give us some hard advice on what we need to do to avoid heart attack and stroke altogether. Through advanced and more sophisticated diagnostic technology, we are now able to arrest and reverse the progress of these silent killers. We're inviting listeners to call in with your questions at 800-859-0957. Again, that's 800-859-0957. Dr. Collender, we're back on the air over the break. We were talking about information going against the status quo, you know, a little bit about the experiences we've had on the show, you know, talking about the things that we talk about. Do you want to elaborate on that? Yeah, sure. So we're we Leading Medicine, which is the podcast through which we are on social media, was whether temporarily or permanently removed from YouTube. And the listeners who listen, you know, you all know that um, I really haven't said anything that is not in the public domain. And I'm only sharing information that is published in peer-reviewed journals. And granted, I am paraphrasing them because I have my sources of information. And I assure you those sources are literally reading from the journal because I've got a practice and my, you know, my job isn't to be a COVID, uh, you know, flag bearer. You know, that's, I mean, even though that's what we talk about, it's because I just believe we're all being misled, just like we're being misled in common medical everyday practice. You know, when you go to your doctor and you get your handful of standard blood work and you get told you're okay, I'm telling you that all of those tests that you do mean absolutely nothing about your risk. Just like what you're being told from what to do for COVID to me means absolutely nothing. And I'm sharing this from you. So we've been you know, we've been taken off YouTube. Um, we could be taken off YouTube for talking about prevention because we're so against the status quo. And, you know, obviously COVID's a hot button and drawing attention. But that's, you know, if someone were, you know, someone decided we could be taken off for that, which is, again, I think we should be moving towards some social media platforms where you there's no censorship. And, you know, hopefully in the very, very near future will be on those. So the show can at least be seen, you know, live streamed by somebody, you absolutely. know, more than just our Facebook audience. Let's yeah. put it that way. Yeah, absolutely. And I'd like to continue on this conversation, but I do want to jump in because we have a caller. Okay. So let's jump and see what's going on on the lines. We have Bob in Newport. Bob, what's your question? Hi. Um, I was told I have three aneurysms. And I was also told that they can't do anything about that till at least five centimeters. Well, where where is your you know the five centimeter aneurysm? But uh, well, they're right now the, they're like a two point three, I guess, and then two of them are like a three. They're off off my heart. Well, so you know you're probably talking about an aortic aneurysm, and depending on where it is along the course of your aorta. There may be some different rules, but in general, um, aneurysms reach, and let me define an aneurysm. An aneurysm for the audience is an enlargement of an artery, um, and it's an enlargement of the whole artery wall, like a weakening of the wall, and the biggest risk factor for aneurysms is high blood pressure. 
Um, so when those aneurysms either grow by more than a centimeter per year or reach a threshold of five centimeters, then um, it's time, you know, then a surgeon will go in and uh, take action. Um, where do you live? Uh, I, I actually drive a truck, but uh, I live in um, like Dearborn. Uh, you know, I would actually check out Cleveland Clinic. They are like the world leaders in stenting okay. aneurysms. And so even though your aneurysm, and I would agree, is not at that level that needs attention. You know, if you were my patient, I would just say, you know, let's every six to 12 months image your arteries so that we can catch it. And if it's growing, then get you into a vascular surgeon to manage it or, or do something so that you want to catch it at the right time. Um, now, so, now, you said that's caused by high blood pressure? That's the most common reason for having an aneurysm. Okay. So you got to make sure that your blood pressure is checked. I mean, you should probably be on a beta blocker, which is a type of blood pressure pill anyway, because blood uh, beta blockers lower the um, like the wall tension stress from just day to day blood pressure. So beta blockers are important, in slowing the rate of progression of aneurysms. So you should be on one of those kind of pills. And again, make sure, you know don't wait for your doctor to call you in. You want to make sure at six to 12 months, you're getting some kind of imaging, whether it's a CAT scan or an ultrasound. If it's um, an ascending aortic aneurysm, you, you can get an echocardiogram to look at that area, but that needs to be followed like clockwork and don't, don't wait to get, you know, you got to stay on that yourself. Don't count on anyone to look at it for you. Yeah. Well, thank you for calling in. I mean, this is incredibly interesting. When I think of aneurysm, I often think of the brain. So it might be worth going into what are some of the differences or how, what is an aneurysm or what, what is going on there? Is there something that can be reversed or slowed? Is Are there commonalities between aneurysms in different areas of the body? Is that a thing? There, well, aneurysms can occur in any artery. So any artery can have a weakening and expand under blood pressure and uh, be at risk for either dissection, which is a tear within the intima media layer, and then blood gets inside the layers of the artery wall, um, or just rupture, which is, uh, you know, you don't have long to live if you've ruptured an aneurysm. So identifying, I mean, good to you for that you've found it. You know, they're often found by accident, um, and then they've got to be followed once you know. But brain aneurysms are hard to find. Um, there are some diseases that uh, contribute to brain aneurysms, aneurysms specifically um, adult, on, adult uh, this is an autosomal, like a genetic mm -hmm. condition, uh, it's polycystic kidney disease, mm -hmm. that's associated with brain aneurysms. I don't know why, but I seem to have several families of polycystic kidney disease patients in my practice. So, you know, we're getting imaging on them, not every year, but once in a while. Yeah. Well, we do have another caller that came in, so let's get in before the break. We have David in Windsor. David, what's your question? Yes, the question for Dr. Colander is this. What are the brain aneurysms in the first part of the, the first part of the start of the aneurysm? This, wouldn't this symptom also involve some of the characteristics and the behavior of the person, the person's in the, of that individual, and also the blurring of the vision? What are some of the other side effects that are associated with brain aneurysms other 
then can the vision be infected, can be affected by that? And your behavior, what about your behavior? What can you suggest about that? Well, thanks for calling, David. So brain aneurysms, the symptoms are going to depend on the location. But unfortunately, brain aneurysms are usually catastrophic. So people don't have symptoms unless the aneurysm is under stress, you know, maybe leaking or bleeding, and that causes severe, you know, headaches. They call them thunderclap headaches, which is like a, you know, a major sudden 10 out of 10 headache, and the location will depend on where the aneurysm is. So brain symptoms always depend on the location. So you know, some of these chronic changes you're talking about don't really refer to aneurysms because they're quiet until they're not. And so you may have one and have no idea until it either leaks or ruptures. And uh, you're, you're lucky if it leaks to give you some idea that you need one. Your symptoms are more likely to look like a stroke than um, uh, a personality change. Personality changes are usually from like viral brain infections. Yeah, well, one way or another, you need guidance from a prof- professional for sure. Um, in the meantime, we will have to take a quick break for now. Again, you are listening to a special live medical broadcast on the prevention and medical management of disease. If you have a specific question and would like to talk to the doctor directly about what you need to do to avoid heart attack and stroke or have a question on any of the subjects discussed tonight, please give us a call at 800-859-0957. That's 800-859-0957. You're listening to 760 WJR. Welcome back to our special live medical broadcast on 760 WJR. We are fortunate to have Dr. Brian Collender, MD, internal medicine physician and specialist in prevention here tonight to give us some straight talk about two important topics, prevention and being proactive. Please tune in to our weekly show Sunday afternoon at 3 p.m. and live Thursday at 7 p.m. We are inviting you to call in with your questions and talk to the doctor directly at 800-859-0957. Again, that's 800-859-0957. Dr. Collender, we want to thank, of course, all the listeners and callers that have been tuning in with their questions. And to everyone out there, we encourage you to call in, you know, with all of your questions about prevention. Of course, we've spoken a lot about COVID, which we will get back to. Um, but, you know, as time goes on, we kind of want to sort of pivot back to what your your true love is, I guess, in the sense of preventing disease, right? Right. So... We're inviting everyone to call for their general, you know, or chronic health conditions and questions they have about their cardiac risk and how to move forward. So those are open all the time. So feel free to, and we'll talk more about that in the closing segment. But I did thought we should continue to just raise awareness about the confusion of COVID um, because I'm continuing to get asked in my practice about which vaccine should I get now? Uh, obviously, a lot of my patients don't listen to the show, but, you know, what vaccine I should get. And um, the president was on 60 Minutes at the Detroit International Auto Show um, telling everybody that COVID is over. What does that mean, COVID is over? Well, the pandemic is over. Okay. Let's clarify that. Um, so the pandemic is over, and and I would say that means COVID is now endemic, but if the pandemic is over, why are so many pharmaceutical products being offered still on an uh, emergency use basis? And so we talked about this last week, and I think it's worth repeating because 
these new vaccines are a combination of the original, you know, alpha vaccine. And of course, if you're following, you realize that the COVID virus has mutated mightily and doesn't resemble the alpha strain. It's gone. There's no more alpha strain. So alpha is the the original vaccine that we were all getting in the rollout, correct? That's a, so alpha is the strain of COVID. And so this is a vaccine for the alpha strain. Right. It's okay. long gone. So this is the original. So these new vaccines are a combination of a vaccine, half of alpha and half of BA4 and BA5, which is Omicron strains. What is the difference between BA4 and BA5? Or is that both lumped into Omicron? Does it matter for people to know this? No. Okay. So thank you for asking, but no. <laughs> so, <laughs> she saw a look of confusion on my face. Anyway, so, you know, COVID's going to change again to another strain that doesn't resemble any of these things anyway. So there is no human data on the BA4, BA5 strain. The only human data is on BA1 which is also gone and off of the planet. There so in are, other words, the, there has not been human testing right. in, in developing. The FDA has approved for emergency use a version of a vaccine that has no human testing. They're beginning the human testing after the release of the vaccine. So all of you who are going to get this new booster, um, you you are a guinea pig. You're getting a vaccine that has been approved based on prior experience. And of course, we question the prior experience because the FDA has actively buried the data on this on the prior experience and continues to defy a court order to release the data. So here we have scientific information that should be open to public scrutiny. That's a scientific method. And it's still not happening, yet we can, we're having more and more vaccines approved based on this prior information to which no one has access. Mm-hmm. And, um, you know, if there's something, to, they're hiding something, there's something to hide, and we all know that. And we all know there have been, um, based on the data they did release, a small portion, there was an extraordinary amount of deaths and uh, adverse events, serious adverse events in the first few months of the release of the vaccine. Yeah. So, you know, as a doctor, if you're asking me as a listener, hey, should, which, should I get this vaccine? There's no way I'm recommending a vaccine that has no studies behind it. No, and if I were, if you came to me and I tell my patients this, if you asked, if I offered you a drug that has nothing but animal studies and has never been tested on a human, but the FDA said it's okay, here's the script, go get it. You'd leave me. And they all agree, you're right. So is this information out there? Is it being is it being obstructed or hidden? Or, I mean, are people being told one thing or the other? What's going on here? It is not available. So the data on the animal studies for the BA4, BA5 bivalent COVID and Moderna vaccine were in... The, science, the journal Science, and it was in there, and now it's gone. And so, again, I'm relying on some, I rely on what I consider a very, uh, I'm, I'm re- reporting on a reliable source, uh, who's Dr. John Campbell on YouTube, and his channel's at high risk of being censured. And again, 
All he does is walk through studies. Mm-hmm. And these are scientific you know, studies right, that this published, is published data, published in, reliable in reli- right in the Lancet and in Nature and in Science, and he's walking through these studies, and that's it, and that's what his channel is. And because um, I don't have time to do that, but I'm I I feel he's a reliable source, and um, and he's at risk of being censured uh, by social media. So uh, all I can say is. You know, you were in a buyer beware situation, no matter what you've heard. And the president has said it's over. Why are we, you know, why is all this happening? We need to step back. And already, you know, countries have dropped all their COVID vaccine requirements, the proof of anything. Hospitals now are starting to say, you know, you don't need proof of any type of vaccine to work. They can't afford to have any fewer workers. Yeah, it makes me think of all the workers that did have to leave or, you know, went through some turmoil not having that, you know, a couple of years ago. Well, there's a, a I'm sure, a few uh, class action lawsuits in play for those people. Yeah. That were fired inappropriately um, for mandating inappropriate treatments. Yeah. Meaning, so that's wow, where that's their old problem is, is <laughs> mandating experimental therapies. Right. And you mentioned, you know, approval under emergency use. So what what's going on there? Is there, do we understand what it means, emergency use? If the pandemic is over, what, you know, why is it emergency use? Exactly. Okay. Why? These are, these are questions the listeners all have to ask themselves if they're waiting to get a booster. Mm-hmm. Um, again, I'm not anti-vaccine. I'm still, go get a shingles vaccine. Um, you are not going to be happy if you get shingles. Um, go get a pneumonia vaccine if you're 65 and over. It's a two-shot series, and it helps reduce hospitalizations for pneumonia in your age group. Every time you have a grandchild, go get another uh, Tdap, tetanus, diphtheria booster. You know, it just helps you. So do those, you know, our standard adult vaccines. Where do we get guidance on what vaccines we should be getting regularly, though? Is this, should the primary care doctor be reminding you at this point, get this again? I mean, where's this information? And and frankly, the drug stores, you know, so when we heard about our infrastructure, state infrastructures not being up to par, this is it. You know, so our vaccine registry is, you know, working with computer systems that are so outdated that they're hard to connect to your electronic health records. Why? Why? I mean, when it's we just, have phones, they can I mean, see your face. Why is this a... Dep- well, healthcare is behind on, on, on tech. Wow. And also HIPAA and, sure. and the security violate, you know, security measures that need to be put on healthcare information just makes it more difficult for these things to work the way you think that they should. Yeah. Well, to me, yeah. to me, it seems like that is of the utmost importance. Whatever technology you have, it, it should be funneled into keeping you alive. Right. So and I, I'd like to keep talking about this after this uh, short break. So for now, we have to take a quick break. But you are listening to a special live broadcast tonight where our topic is health and how to prevent disease. When we come back, if you have a specific question on the subjects we're discussing and would like to hear from the doctor directly, please call us at 800-859-0957. Again, that number is 800-859-0957. You are listening to 760 WJR. Welcome back to the final segment of our special weekly live broadcast here on 760 WJR on the importance of being proactive and informed of the resources available to prevent and treat chronic and debilitating disease. 
You're listening to the expert advice of Dr. Brian Collender, MD, internal medicine physician, and one of the very few specialists in prevention in this country. If you have a question for the doctor, now is your chance to call us at 800-859-0957. Again, that's 800-859-0957. Dr. Collender, we've had a great conversation so far over the break on Facebook Live. We were continuing to talk about some of the issues in the system, physicians following you know, what's going on with the FDA, being kind of locked into a, a status quo way of, of treating patients. Would, would you like to talk more about that? Yeah, you know, I think it's important. We've all learned to accept, you know, unexpected deaths, increase in chronic illness as just a, a factor of getting older or genetics, you know, that black box of, of disease that you can blame something on, which really is a failure of prevention. And, you know, most of the doctors in this country, I'm going to go, you know, 90 to 95% just take whatever the FDA says as the law and there's no questioning it. Um, and so we need to be questioning things. And uh, again, unfortunately COVID has taken away this, this dialogue. And if you are not saying what's supposed to be said, then you are censured and removed from having a voice. And again, kudos to WJR that keeps us on, even though uh, YouTube won't. <laughs> and um, and again, we've said nothing. Believe me, I've said things on this show that deserve uh, a censure, but I haven't said anything. But in not a few deserve. Weeks. I don't want. I don't want you to say that because everything that you're saying is based on data, as right. you said you're, before. You're right. You're right. But I've not said anything in a long time that isn't in a published medical journal. And uh, and I've been careful not to make a speculation that is inflammatory. So, you know, the next thing we want to talk about is also, again, I'm getting it from my resource on uh, currently on YouTube, Dr. Campbell, which is in Europe, every month for the last few months, there has been an increase in non-COVID deaths. So, and this is over a five-year span. So there's an increase in deaths every month. Uh, they've got their COVID deaths and non-COVID deaths, and the question is why? Um, and, you know, we're getting to some countries 15 to 30% above the deaths. And so in one week in Europe, 16% increased deaths means 53,000 people died in Europe more than the five-year average before that in, in the month mm -hmm. of July. And we've talked about it on the show at the beginning of COVID that we would predict there would be an increase in heart attack and stroke death. There'd be an increase in complications from diabetes. And that is because of a total neglect of primary care, lack of access, and failure to address inflammation as a driver of disease. Um, because it's not being paid attention to at all. And COVID is a driver of disease. Um, the vaccines generate an inflammatory response. And whoever's had a vaccine had some arm soreness, were sick for a few days or whatever. We're not going to get into the full spectrum of that right now, but that generates an inflammatory response. Um, you know, so this is, you know, I look at that this data from the perspective of inflammation. Again, the whole world has just gone through an inflammatory assault 
that's not being addressed. And this is why we're seeing these deaths. And, uh, and you know, I don't know what, you know, what the categories of these deaths are. Are they heart disease, stroke, Is dementia? that data going to be released, do you think, or is it I, just a general? I think it's general. Okay. I, don't, I don't know that it's being, I, you know, there's speculation. But, I, I mean, in my mind, this is uh, the result of, all of these issues. How much of it do you think COVID. is attributable to to not being able to see doctors during COVID when a everything huge was shut amount, down? A huge amount. Because if you're diabetic and you need to be in quarterly and you went 18 months without seeing your doctor and you're just on autopilot with your prescriptions, you can't get blood work, you have no hands-on, that means you're not having any instruction about how to eat or what to eat. Now, in the general healthcare system, all that's garbage anyway, you know, but at least you're getting a doctor to see you and you're getting a, a medicine. You know, again, the data points that are followed by endocrinologists and cardiologists, your A1C and your LDL, who cares? In my world, those are meaningless data points. But um, why are they meaningless? Can, can you explain just quickly what those things are and why we're measuring them and why they're meaningless? So hemoglobin A1C is a blood test that's used to measure the uh, the diabetic score, you know, like how good or bad is your diabetic management? And LDL is the quote unquote bad cholesterol. And your predicted, you know, whether or not you're on a statin to st- prevent heart attack or stroke is based on a formula that uses some of these numbers, your age, your sex, mm-hmm. you know, whether or not you smoke, um, a, a comp- you know, a formula kicks out a percentage risk and based on that percentage you get put on a dose of statin medicine and that's the extent of prevention and ironically um, LDL is the least predictive risk factor of heart disease yet it's part of this formula and the answer is because pharmaceutical companies made drugs that lower LDL and so that's the data point to follow and pharma companies make drugs that lower hemoglobin A1C. Like, for instance, insulin lowers A1C. But in my practice, shockingly, I try not to use insulin because if you have insulin resistance, why insulin resistance is a state of high sugar and high insulin, which is an inflammatory state. Why add insulin? Mm-hmm. If you already have this, you know, you're at a cauldron bubbling in your body of too much sugar and insulin. Why give more insulin? Yeah. You need drugs that lower the process, that lower both of them. And, you know, this is lifestyles are our best tool. Again, we're not going to go in the details because yeah. no one wants to hear it. But um, life, you cannot out-medicate lifestyle. And with the right information, the right data points, People do a change their lifestyle, but being told you're this number has hit a goal or that number hit a goal doesn't resonate with anybody because we all know people who have hit their goals and then drop dead. We all know people who pass a stress test and drop dead. You cannot make any assumptions about I'm changing topics. No, no, it's I'm okay. But I, yeah, in our, in our last minute, I do want you to say coming back to this increased deaths over the period of five years, what can we do now? What should we be doing? What should doctors be doing now to change this trend so that it doesn't continue? Well, the listeners need to get the right data. You know, so you need to get your CIMT ultrasound. 
You need to get your inflammatory lab work. You need to get your blood work that measures microvascular disease. You need to learn whether you have any or all of the three silent killers, and you need to address them and follow the data that we have. And that is the, you know, that's the best we have right now. And not assume that when you go to your doctor, oh, your cholesterol is good and you know, this is good. That's nothing. And so that's what you've got to do is get in the weeds, get in the muck, learn where you are, have someone who knows how to guide you, and do that's the answer. And for anyone out there that's lost, I encourage them to call 866-COLANDER, K-O-L-E-N-D-E-R, because you can definitely put, point them in the right direction. But unfortunately, we're out of time, so I'd quickly like to thank Dr. Brian Collender, MD, specialist in prevention, for being here tonight and for being willing to share his expertise and knowledge with regards not only to the prevention of disease, but also on the importance of being proactive and engaging with a practice that provides access to the necessary testing. This show is brought to you by Collender Medical. I'm Siobhan Cronin, your host filling in tonight for Anne-Marie Cronin, and we hope that you got some useful information on how to be your own advocate and take charge of your health, whatever your medical journey. Please continue to tune into our shows Sunday afternoon at 3 p.m., Thursday evening live at 7 p.m. for the latest medical updates. Thanks for listening to 760 